roadkill. Ricky knew I was having trouble putting food on the table. So he called me up to say there's some roadkill down the way. Just past the bridge. No shame in it. This is a big boy. Ricky said. Enough meat to really fill up your freezer. It was just a few days before the start of deer season. The woods were overflowing, not just with animals, but also pollen, insect noise, ghosts. You never knew what you could find on the side of the road. I asked Ricky how long he'd figured the road could have been there. Well, he said, seeing as I'm the one who heard it, about 10 minutes ago. So why not take it yourself, I asked. Because I'm coming back from the dice. Figured not test my luck by adding another crime on top of that. Ricky said. The dice was dice roll. The pub across town by the river. Which meant Ricky was out on a drunk again, driving the back roads. A big cadaver in his truck bed might draw some unwanted attention especially with the Department of Transportation's laws against harvesting roadkill. You shot or ran over, it made no difference. This time of year, no matter what kind of cadaver you had in your truck bed, it would land you on the wrong side of the law. Rest of my truck's all banged up to hell anyways. This sucker will show big, Ricky said. You just left it in the road out there for someone to run over, I asked. Nah. Dragged it off into the bushes as best I could. But you should be able to get out there and find it easy enough. If you pull over by the big tree, you know the one. I did sure enough. I was in my tool shed when Ricky called near 1 a.m. So my wife and kid were asleep in bed. But I knew the route in and out of the woods that the late nighters took to avoid the law. It wasn't unusual for me to be awake at this hour. Ricky knew I could never sleep much anymore. We were the same like that now. Well, you tell me what you want to do, he said over the phone. Otherwise, I'll call somebody else to pick it up off the road. No, I said. I want it. Right then, call if you need anything else. Just make sure you delete me from your call history once we hang up. Ricky, since when am I a fool? Just making sure. You've been a good and godly family man for a while now. Didn't know if you'd forgotten. I remember everything I told him. You wouldn't guess how hard it is on the spirit. How deep the fear to know that if you make one small mistake in your life, one small offense, everything you love can be taken from you. That night, Ricky called me about the roadkill he'd hit. I'd been up late building furniture in my shed. I'd been doing that for a while now to bring in some extra cash. Ricky and I had once been partners before doing some time at the Livestate Correctional Institution. 
about five years earlier for doing some bad things I'd rather not discuss. But the result was that even when folks were begging people to come back to work, they never wanted a felon like me. Five years, one month, and three days I've been on parole, and as of that night, but given the multitude of the other things they could have gotten me for, I tried to take it as a blessing. Yet I knew I was living with an ax over my head. Sarah, my wife, had seen my past, my shortcomings when I met her at the Methodist Church a few months after I got in out. And since we've gone to build a life together, our son Jacob was four. Our daughter Abigail had just turned two. Sarah worked all day as a home health aide and I watched over the kids while trying to find part-time work, scavenging whatever major job I could find. Ricky, my old partner, had taken a different path. It was always late at night when he called. We weren't supposed to contact one another on court order. That never stopped me from picking up. The roadkill was not far. Got my truck and kept the headlights off as I eased out of the dirt driveway, making sure to wait until I passed by our neighbor's shack and had reached the main road before I flipped them on. These were wooden roads. They terrified me in ways most people wouldn't understand. My headlamps washed over twisted tree branches and overhanging leaves and sagging power lines. Even the main road was empty this late. Only one other car passed me by as I drove the five miles or so to the crossroads under the bridge where Ricky had dragged the roadkill into the bushes. Right away I saw that he'd been sloppy. Part of his truck grill laid in the ground glinting like river golds in my headlamp pulled over and cut the engine. When I stepped out into the night air, the fragrance of the woods confronted me. These earthly damp smells that were more memory than sense. All that night, Ricky had hidden things in the wood, now layered over one another in my mind as I walked over to pick up the chunk of his grill off the road. We'd hidden so much out here, so close to our homes. It was starting to change me. Or maybe I already had, and I was just now noticing. Once a few months earlier, my wife Sarah had asked me why I kept the windows rolled up when I drove down the roads on cool spring nights. Wouldn't it be nicer? to let the fresh air in? And how could I tell her the truth? Which was, I felt as if ghosts were whispering to me with the windows open. The feel of the wind was out here, like fingertips on my neck. Not pressing exactly, just grazing, reminding me of who I was. That, and the sounds of crickets chirping, faraway trains wailing, the silence that filled the space between the tree branches, like voices talking 
but you can't ever hear what they're saying about you. Bending down in the middle of the road now, in the whispering quiet of the night, I lifted the grilled chunk off Ricky's truck in my hand. Even by moonlight I could see the part number on the back. Drunk fool, I said out loud. The chunk must have come off when he slammed into the roadkill. He'd been too drunk to see a line over the lane line of the road. I tossed the debris in my truck bed. Had the police found that on the road, they could have traced it back to the make and model of Ricky's truck. It took more time to find the roadkill. Ricky had really dragged it deep into the woods. He would do that sometimes when he'd been drinking. He put in more effort than was needed to get a particular job done as if overcompensating for his drunkness. Burying holes too deep, for example, or setting things on fire and waiting too long to sure everything had become ashes before leaving. All while missing simple things, like a grill chunk in the road, or worse. I found the roadkill's cadaver, lying where he sat, in some bushes deep in the woods. Riggy wasn't lying. It was a big sucker. I dragged it out by the legs, but had to stop a few times to catch my breath. Before emerging from the woods, I waited a few seconds by the big tree, listening for any oncoming cars. Knowing if I was caught here, I clamped back in prison for a parole violation. The night was quiet, breathing around me. I felt as if I was being watched by a thousand eyes. I told myself I was just feeding my family, doing what I had to do, risking it for them. I dragged the roadkill out into the pavement. Despite how many times I dealt with dead things, I felt bad the way the poor body scraped limp against the road. Even dead, we all should have some dignity. When I managed to squat down and heave the thing up into my truck bed, I covered it with a tarp and tied it down carefully, covering it up to relieve my own worries, as much as I hoped it gave comfort to it as well, wherever this roadkill soul had flown off to. Deer, birds, squirrels, rabbits, how many confused animals had died on this curve off the road since it had been paved? My sins, by any account, were far less than the sins of the automobile and its endless stampede through this wilderness. And as true as I believe that to be, it didn't lessen my guilt for tonight's roadkill. I had purposely brought out other crates and stacks of wood and buckets to situate around the body in my trunk bed to make the covered lump look less obvious. I drove slowly on my way back, heaving down the rows carved through the woods, feeling my breath calming the closer I got to the safety of my third driveway. It was about a mile from home when the blue and red lights of the sheriff's deputy flashed behind me. I've always prided myself on staying calm during traffic stop. 
Ricky, though, was something else. Back when we were still partners, I once saw Ricky dance his way out of a DUI checkpoint stop despite us having contraband in our truck. That could have sent us to prison our whole lives. I say he danced, and I meant it. The deputy had asked Ricky to step out of the car. Then he had him doing the field sobriety walk, one foot in front of the other. Ricky touching a finger on his nose went out of the blue. He decided to spin around and do a Michael Jackson moonwalk right in front of the cruiser. Ricky chopped his feet and managed to keep swinging his arms side to side while touching his nose, spinning gracefully back around and then stopping on the dime with his arms outstretched. As if to say, See? Ta-da! I'd witnessed Ricky drink no fewer than 10 whiskey sodas that night. The officer was laughing and he let us go. What are you so stressed about? Ricky asked me as he drove on, lighting a cigarette and grinning at me. He even leaned out to weave at the deputy as the cruiser drove past us. I didn't say anything. All I did was lean forward, open the glove box, and put the loaded pistol I'd been clutching in my right hand back inside with the fake insurance papers. But that's it. I was calm because I knew what had to be done if things went south on this late night with the roadkill in my trunk bed. Pulled to the side of the road and let my muscle memory kick in. The red and blue lights of the sheriff's deputy cruiser strobing inside the cabin of my truck. I had a skill where I could move my body without moving my silhouette. From behind, the deputy who pulled me over would not have seen me remove the handgun from the center console. As he walked up to my truck, he would have not seen me wedge the gun on the right side of my seat. Hidden. Yeah, I could pull it out swiftly like a cowboy drawing a pistol from a holster. My posture had remained unchanged all the while my arm moving independently behind the cover of the seats in my own body. When I rolled down the window and waited, the air of the woods eased into my car, filling my throat, entering me. When he got beside my open window, the deputy stepped one foot on the sidebar of my truck. Evening, he said. Get your license and registration, please. I handed him my documents. We chatted back and forth. I was fine, steady. I didn't flinch. Then he took documents back to his cruiser and ran my information. I paused my mind, waiting. When he came back, the deputy said, Thought I saw you driving a little sluggish. Just wanted to check. Heard about some commotion going on tonight. You been drinking? No, sir. Well, I'll tell you, <laughs> I said. And I laughed in a way that sounded like a real laugh non-threatening laugh saying now got two young kids in the house and a wife working double shifts hard to get much work done during the day you know 
The deputy's posture relaxed just enough for me to notice. He said, I hear that. My wife's expecting our first, matter of fact. And because he seemed like he might be a casual talker, I added, You work nice normally, or just pulling doubles to get out of the house? He grinned at me. I got the feeling he hadn't talked about it much, like he didn't have anyone around to tell. Doubles when I can, he said. Good to have the money. Figure it'll be hard once the baby comes. Brother, you don't even know. I said. That bad? Enjoy the peaceful nights of chasing down bad guys while you have the chance, I said. A baby crying all night will make a car chase seem like a day at the lake. He exhaled out of his nose, a soft laugh, and I imagine he must have been years earlier, a little boy at church with big dreams as he handed my license and papers back through the open window. Then he did something he shouldn't have. He stepped all the way back down in the dirt and glanced at the back of my truck, getting a closer look at what I had piled up in the bed. He was a young guy, a kid, really. As he stepped up to look at my truck bed, I touched my fingers to the grip of my handgun to feel that it was still there. The deputy was leaning over fully now to look into the bed. I could hear him touching at things, moving things, sniffing around. I looked straight ahead out of the windshield. My grip on the handgun tightened. Well, shoot. The deputy said a moment later, reappearing at the window. I see you got something in your truck bed under that tarp, huh? Closed my eyes, breathing in the smell of woods that had surrounded me. But I decided not to check what it was, the deputy said, patting his head on the top of my truck. Figure I can guess what's in there, huh? But ain't like deer season ain't no more than three days off anyways. No use in bothering you about that. I opened my eyes now, my right hand releasing the grip of the handgun hidden at my side. Well, I told him, exhaling, sure do appreciate you for that. Hey, we all gotta eat, he said. And sorry for the hassle, no warning or citation. Deputy glanced aside then looked back at me. Just so you know, I've got no plans to report this stop to your parole officer, but when I ran your plate through leads, it automatically popped up in my system, which means it'll appear in your account if your PO checks, just in case you get a call about peeing out so late. Shouldn't factor in, but thought it'd be polite to give you a notice. I'm aware, but hey, appreciate the heads up all the same. Sure, take care. When are you expecting, by the way, I said. I was looking at him through the side view mirror. The deputy had already started walking back to his cruiser. He turned and said, pardon? Your baby, I said, when's the due date? He put his hand on his hips as if he'd forgotten. They say about three months, give or take. It'll come before you know it. Already seems like it's happening too fast. Sure, that's all too normal, I said. 
And don't beat yourself up down the road if you feel guilty about making a mistake. You can't protect them from everything. Just so you know yourself, you might not sleep well in the next few years. But trust me, it can feel like the whole world got a whole lot sharper and more dangerous and evil the moment your kid arrives. It's like a light got shunned and you see things in color and you see how bad things are for you and for everyone. And you try to fix it all while grabbing all around at what to do, but nothing can be done. Nothing can be perfect. Forgive yourself for all your past mistakes. Nothing you can do about that. All you can do is try your best moving forward. Try not to make history repeat itself for your kid's sake. And most of all, stay safe, son. These are dark woods. The young deputy stepped back into the road, his arms dangling at his side. His right hand hovered to his gun's holster. He looked like he was about to say something. Like he was about to do something. Then he said, you too. And walked back to his cruiser as I drove off. Only this time I left my window down, feeling the ghost at my neck all the way home. My own father was a good man. As a child, I learned from him how to dress and butcher a deer. The animal is not so different from us, my father said. And I remember the care he took as his knife blade separated the deer's muscles from bone, sinew from flesh. His large but gentle hands placing the cuts of meat in organized piles beside him. I remember this as I dressed the roadkill in my tool shed that night after arriving back home from the wooden roads. My father stopped talking to me when I was 16 years old. By the time I'd been incarcerated for the first time, he was dead of a heart attack. He would not have proved me of using the skills He's shown me the way I was using them tonight. On this mangled roadkill, dragged out of the woods. But I was never a good hunter. Unlike him, I always hesitated. I would see the animal standing still from the trees, its neck angled downstream to drink from the stream. And I could not bring myself to pull the trigger. He saw this as a failure in me. But the truth is, I had the strength and discipline never to kill anything that did not deserve it or was not out to hurt me. And in this regard, I did not understand him as much as he did not understand me. I was not responsible for this roadkill, which I was now carving up in my shed. I was just making sure that death wasn't in vain. Close to sunrise, as I was finishing up the butchering, my phone vibrated from where I left it on my shed. Right by the shelf. Glanced at the screen without touching it. My hands bloody with butchered flesh. It was Ricky calling. I let it go to voicemail. I did not want to hear his voice this close to morning. Some of the cuts of meat I bagged and put into my freezer the good cuts I left for the fridge. When my family woke up and saw what I brought him, 
my wife would smile and tell me I was a good man. And that night, we would have the table set with delicious steaks and mashed potatoes and gravy, like Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner out of the blue. You have to count your blessings when you got them or create them because it's hard to be a good man these days. They make it so tough to provide. You try your best and it's never enough. You got to scavenge what you can. Like Ricky said, no shame in it. The bones from which I had pulled loosened the flesh. I started simmering in a pot to make a bone broth. The next day I would drain the bones out, including the jaw and the skull, dry them out, and then crush the bones into fine powder, which I would dissolve in the streams in the backwoods a few miles away, like I always did. The hydrogen in the bones would nourish the soil. The soil will nourish the plants. The plants would yield fruit and life, or so I heard. I read that once from a science book when I'd been in prison. According to the book, the chemicals of life always reaform new, so that no death is final, no ghost is beyond salvation. Seeds emerge from husks, always. But some things need to be burned altogether. As the bones were still simmering that morning, I went out to the backyard of my own family's shack and started a fire. I waited until the fire was roaring and I went back inside and took all the inedible remains of the roadkill and carried them outside. Placed them into the fire piece by piece until they caught. All around me, the birds were waking up. It was just about morning now. The first hint of sun touched the leaves of the sugar maple trees beyond my shack. I grabbed a warm can of beer from a bucket by the fire pit and cracked it open. My wife wouldn't mind. I had a lot of cooking to do that day and I'd earn it. The beer tasted good like I'd done something with my night. Standing by the fire, I waited until the heat had devoured the roadkill's shirt, his jeans and underwear, his shoes and socks. Based on the clothes, I'd figured he'd been homeless. There were more and more of them out in the woods these days. They'd been wandering, patting their feet at the ground. Ricky probably hadn't even seen him hobbling along the side of the road until he'd hit him. By the condition of the body, this individual hadn't taken long to die. I'd watch as the flames spread over the ribbons of skin. I'd carve off his body, the callous padding of his feet and toes, and the roadkill's mostly bald scalp. Oddly, his cheap wallet took the longest to melt in and on itself. Whatever cards or papers or pictures inside fusing together until there was no identity left. All my years with Ricky, I never did look inside the wallets. Not once. In half an hour or so, my wife and kids would come down for breakfast. 
I would go inside, pour some coffee, tell them I hope they had a good appetite, because tonight we would dine like the president himself. <laughs>